AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, including your stories. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. And up next, another story from one of our regular contributors and listener, Joy Neal Kidney. Joy is the author of Liara's Letters, the story of love and loss for an Iowa family during World War II. And today she shares the story of her old upright piano 
passed down to her from her mother. And Joy listens to our great station in Des Moines, WHO. Take it away, Joy. It's been in the family for six decades. Most of our history with this musical instrument is good, except for one really bad one. Uncle Delbert found the dusty piano about 1952 in someone's shed near Perry, Iowa, while he was doing some wiring for them. He knew that Mom was looking for a piano so my sister and I could take lessons. How much did they want for it? $45. He hauled it to our farmhouse in his electrician's van. He and Dad lugged it into a corner of the front room, which had a linoleum floor, a plush, plum-colored Davenport and chair, a blonde, black-and-white television with a TV lamp on it, and in the winter, a tall brown heating stove. When she was a girl, Mom envied the kids who took piano lessons. She'd attend their recitals in Dexter, and a couple of those girls eventually became her sisters-in-law. Dad enjoyed hearing his sisters practice for lessons. One of those sisters played for their wedding. Even Grandma Leora, Mom's mother, took lessons as a girl, riding a horse over dusty country roads into town for her Saturday lessons. So piano lessons were our fate. Sis Gloria and I took lessons from Eleanor Chapler in Dexter, at first getting out of school once a week to walk to her house for lessons. Mrs. Chapler had a baby grand piano, a dog that licked our legs, and a parakeet that much of the time had the run of the house and plucked the feathers out of its tummy. Mom made sure Dad got to hear us practice pieces from our red John Thompson books. And even though piano recitals always accompanied planning season, my dad never missed one. When Gloria was nine years old, her recital piece was Chinese lullaby. Mrs. Chapler, who dressed up and wore red lipstick for recitals, with a hat on her plain bobbed hair, announced that Gloria's piece had six flats. Gloria turned the pages, but she never glanced at the music. She knew it all by heart. Gloria and I began to practice hymns for Sunday school, all the while on the old upright. We played duets, everything from Deep Purple to a patriotic one that rocked the pumpkins decorating the top of the piano at a 4-H achievement night. One by one, the old ivories gave up their glue. Mom found someone who would install plastic ivories and even blacken the sharps and flats. When we got older, we began to complain about having to practice. Mom started saving the day's dishes to bargain with, either practice the piano or do the dishes. We practiced. Mom happily did dishes while being serenaded by live music often parking on the end of the piano bench, dish towel in hand, singing along. That was until my boogie-woogie stage. Not the kind of music Mom had envisioned. About junior high age, 
I began to pound out WC Handy Pieces, Jogo Blues, Basin Street Blues, Beat Me Daddy's, Eight to the Bar, over and over. An hour of Handy is a workout, physically and emotionally, and for Mom, spiritually. She later admitted that my heavy-handed blues and boogie days drove her into the garden. But Mrs. Chapler put up with it gracefully. Of course, she only had to stand it for half an hour a week. She let me choose my recital pieces, from Frankie and Johnny my freshman year, and Shorten and Bread the next, before I finally graduated to Chopin and Rachmaninoff. Years later, after marriage, after my husband's years in the Air Force in Vietnam, we bought our first house. My folks gave us the wonderful old piano, but what a chore to get it from the Iowa farmhouse to a Denver suburb. Here comes the bad episode. Five years and one son later, we moved back to Iowa. The heavy old gal had lost its two back wheels in the move, so it tilted back. My husband leaned his shoulder and head against the wall to pry the piano from it so I could slip shims under to replace the wheels. He ruptured a disc in his neck, leading to surgery to fuse a couple of vertebrae. But he recovered and decided that he still liked the piano well enough to take it apart, strip off the dark, grainy texture, and refinish it. It wasn't long before son Dan was taking lessons and practicing on that same ponderous piano. She has an uncertain future. The last time the piano was tuned, we learned that she has a cracked sounding board, which cannot be mended. So the instrument holds a silent corner in our main room, usually crowned with family pictures. Those boogie-woogie days, just a remembrance. And a great story by Joy Neal Kidney, and great job on that as always to Monty Montgomery, who did the production on the piece. Joy Neal Kidney's story of an old upright piano here on Our American Story. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell, and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. continue with our American stories. And now Robbie brings us the story of Jason Wolf, a pioneer in the early days of the internet. He created the first online coupon site and was the first to seriously develop software that tracked web browsing using what are known as cookies. But Jason isn't here to talk about that. Instead, Jason is here to bring us the story of becoming the father that he never had himself. 
Here's Jason. You know, I, I think my very first memories were when I was living in Virginia. My dad worked in the CIA, so we lived in a place called Reston, Virginia, which was like a new suburb of Washington, D.C. back then. I could remember having a bike and learning how to ride a bike with my dad, and I must have been maybe three or four. And I remember going down this little hill that he was pushing me down and, you know, basically being scared and then being happy that I learned how to ride a bike. So, yeah, it was my earliest memory. Something that, that happened in my life that I remember that was like a pivotal thing, probably when my mom and dad got um, separated. By then, it was 1975, so I was six or so, and I could remember my dad driving, he had a Volkswagen, sort of like a station wagon Volkswagen, loaded all of us up into this Volkswagen, drove up to Connecticut, and all of us, meaning my brother and sister and I, drove us up to Connecticut and dropped us off with my grandparents, with my mom. My mom was acting strange, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then he left, and that was the beginning of their divorce. And shortly after that, my mom, turned out later I found out, my mom had mental illness, and so she was put into a sort of a mental institution for a couple years. So for a couple years, after my dad dropped us off, my mom was you know, going through, trying to get herself back together. And yeah, those are, those are the, that's probably the next milestone in my life. I could remember when my mother was, um, they were trying to get her to take her into the, this mental institution or whatever, she was put away for a couple years. And they somehow couldn't get her, she was elusive. <laughs> <laughs> and I can remember my sister and I going to this hospital and they were getting her there under some other uh, guise, some other trick to get her to show up. And so she shows up and my sister and I are sitting out there. By now I'm probably a little older, six or seven. And um, I remember the, uh, we, they had my sister and I playing sort of games out inside this room. And I remember hearing some screaming and I look over and here's my mother running towards me with a, with a straitjacket on because they were trying to put her into a straitjacket. And that was like hugely pivotal and kind of crazy at that time. And from then, over the next course of a couple of years, I mean, we lived with grandparents. Um, I lived with an aunt for a little bit and then eventually moved in with um, an uncle. And my mom came out of the institution, tried to take us back, get back on her feet living in sort of, you know, welfare life, not a lot of money, poor. I can remember a Christmas vividly when I was around nine at this point and just laying under a blanket with no heat in the house and getting a knock at the door. And at the door was, uh, looked out the door was a box with uh, frozen turkey and some games for us. And, you know, we couldn't cook the turkey. We had no gas. So we had no gas to light the stove. We're the poor people. We're the what they, I called the raggies. You know, the raggies of town, the people that are real raggy and poor and stuff, that was us. And so, yeah, I remember that. And then living with an uncle and then having to make a decision when I was about 10 
uh, whether I wanted to go to this new school that they discovered that this nun that we were uh, going to a church uh, told my grandmother about down in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was a school for, at the time it was boy, boy school. They were just converting over to add girls. And it was in the late 70s, 79 or so. And we went down, took the test, came back, my brother and I, my brother didn't pass the test, I did. And they asked me, I can remember standing uh, at my uncle's house in the, on the second floor, and they were asking me, do you want to go to this school or do you want to go with your uncle, aunt and uncle to go to California, because they were moving to California. And I decided to go to Milton Hershey School alone by myself, which was hugely, you know, that was, God's, that was a God moment. There was no real reason for me to choose to not go with my family, but I chose to not go with my family, to go down to Milton Hershey School. And so on September 20th, 1980, uh, it was a fall day, crisp out, football season, sunny. Uh, I'll remember it just like yesterday, and I could feel the air, even right now, and being dropped off at Milton Hershey School. And my mother and my grandparents were there, and inside this place called the Rotunda, which is a huge building at Milton Hershey School. And I can remember Mr. Long standing there with me. He was the person that had the intake of children coming into Milton Hershey School. And I can remember standing with Mr. Long and looking at my parents and my, or my mother. By now I thought my dad was dead because my mom told us he was not alive so he never paid child support and we really thought he was dead. So seeing my mother cry, my grandparents standing there and then they walk away and I'm, and I'm alone now. I didn't realize but that I'd be on my lawn for a long time thereafter and growing up in that school. I can remember not even a few months into it maybe crying every night, trying to put myself to sleep, and starting to try to get used to the school at the time was a, you know, um, corporal punishment was not, um, it was something that happened, it just happened, right? It was part of discipline, and I can remember running away, and I remember getting paddled, I remember these things that I wasn't used to, and it was scary, and, and I cried, and I didn't want to be there. But I learned to adapt and to change, to figure things out, and eventually I did. And eventually I excelled. I became, played three sports, football, baseball, and wrestling. Some of them I was a captain on, some of the teams I excelled in. My grades were always good. I was in the top group of our class, probably in the top, you know, handful of kids. And then, um, you know, went on to college. But before going on to college, <laughs> I remember sitting at graduation day, next pivotal moment, was just sitting there and, um, you know, with a suitcase of clothes and a hundred bucks, because they gave you a check at the time of a hundred dollars. I think mine was less than a hundred because I owed the school something for something that I did. I don't even know. And I couldn't cash the check because I didn't have a bank account. And I had a suitcase with the brand new clothes, you know, three pairs of socks, 10 pair of underwear, something like that, a bunch of pants, you know. And I'm sitting there with this big suitcase of clothes and this check I can't cash. And my grandfather had a stroke, so he was on the last months of his life. Um, my mother was always, you know, dysfunctional. And I wasn't really sure what I was gonna do, you know. So I went up to Connecticut and I stayed with my grandmother to help her to take care of my grandfather until he died. And he passed away within a couple months. And I didn't go to college. Um, I wasn't sure what I was gonna do. And um, so I got involved in like a lot of things that somebody who has no family, uh, really, um, who has no direction, um, no male mentorship, um, Christ not in my life to any 
uh, large measure. And so I got involved in things that were uh, illegal. And I didn't do, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not proud about it, but there was a stretch of my life right there that I was led, I was kind of going down the wrong roads. And, um, you know. Thankfully, Jason, after a number of setbacks, had a moment of clarity. And after years of hard work, he created the first coupon website ever. And then the first real software to use cookies to track web browsing, which he sold for roughly $22 million. So that was 2006. And by then I was married. Uh, I was only married for a couple years. And I had a son, Morris. Um, and I ended up going through divorce. I get uh, the old, you know, you're locked out of your home type of deal. I go to go into my house and, and all the locks are changed. I was only married for two years. Um, I didn't know the person I was getting married to. I only knew her for four months before she got, I got married. And I married her because she was pregnant. And you've been listening to Jason Wolf tell the story of his life and what a story it is. When we come back, more of the life story of Jason Wolf here on Our American Story. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back with Our American Stories and with the story of Jason Wolf. Jason's childhood was anything but easy. His mother was institutionalized. His father leaving and later dying, or at least well, that's what young Jason was told. Down the road, Jason had a son and got married. Unfortunately, that ended after a few years, and Jason found himself in the middle of a divorce. Here's Jason to tell us the rest of the story. So during that divorce and after that divorce, it was a time for me, I think, to when God started knocking on my door and saying, hey, all this stuff you've got to do, you've got to be starting to change the way that you live and put, put God first. Even though going through divorce wasn't fun, it was, you know, financially it was a mess. It was because I sold a company during the time that I was married, it became a marital asset. And that was a big problem. And I started to go to church more. I started, I was, you know, invited into a men's group and I started the journey to change my life, to bring me as a man more towards Christ in a real way, as opposed to just saying that I'm a Christian. When I got divorced, it was easy for, you know, the lawyers to say, hey, you know, um, let's just kind of settle this disagreement and um, I'm signing papers, honestly, I didn't realize this, Robbie, that is saying that I have, I didn't know what the lingo, lingo meant at the time. I didn't know what primary custody meant compared to just custody. I didn't know what legal custody meant. All I just knew was like, you have the kid or you don't. I, I quickly figured it out because I didn't have equal physical and legal custody. I had sort of visitation rights. I think that's terrible for dads at the time, and that's how it was for me. And I had to then try to argue with the court that I could be an equal father and I wanted to be uh, equally in, in Morris's life. And his mom tried to stop that. And so for years, from 2006 all the way up to 2011, uh, we fought uh, for uh, equal custody. And eventually in 2000, I think it was 11 or 10, uh, the governor at the time, Rendell, Pennsylvania, was leaving office and he, uh, uh, put a, a change to the, the law or the thing about parental equal custody. Uh, at the time, I had to prove that I was an equal father. Like I was proved that I was, instead of just automatically giving equal custody to both parents. 
and then disproving that the other person couldn't be a parent. And so when he did that, it allowed me to have 50-50 custody. It was a wonderful thing. And I think that's how it always should have been, but it wasn't at the time. So, yeah, it took years for me to fight for him, to just be in his life. Um, you know, and, and he was a big part of my life. We spent, um, I didn't get remarried until um, 2017. So for 10 years, it was just Morris and I, and my dog Toby, our dog Toby. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with him. I focused on Morris. I did his homework with him. I, I was involved in the school. I was involved with his doctors. I was an equally involved father, as it should be. And I loved it. I loved to be involved in his life. Um, he's older now, 15, 16. Kids change. <laughs> he doesn't want to listen to me as much as he did before, but that's okay. Since then, I did get remarried, and we have uh, fostered, and we have adopted. So we have two girls now that we've adopted. Um, Danielle, who's five, and uh, Marigold, who is eight. Uh, we got them when they were three and, three and six. Um, and so, so we love them. We have two new girls, and we have a boy right now, too. We foster. His name is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, we hope, uh, eventually will be our son. And so our family went from just Morris and I and our dog to... Susan, my wonderful wife, Danielle, Marigold, Morris, Jeremiah, the dogs, and my wife loves animals. We have a donkey and a goat, two goats, and um, a pony. <laughs> so yeah, things have expanded. That's good. All these struggles, all these challenges that I had, I learned later in life that, you know, it was God banging on my heart my heart was getting broken over and over and over and it was because God wanted to get into my heart and my heart was hard and so I think these struggles have made my heart softer and a softer gentler heart was needed when Jason had to face the man he'd grown up thinking was dead the man who left his family when he was six his own father and so I found out my dad was alive in 1992 I was 22 years old, 21 years old. I was in college and found out he was alive. We sent letters to my grandmother who wouldn't tell us where he was and then she would send the letters to my father and he lo and, lo and behold wasn't dead. <laughs> and um, Found out he lived in New Zealand. He had a whole different life and I ended up going down and meeting him probably when I was 23. I spent about a month with him. Uh, got to know him a little bit and um, over the course of a couple years, knew him a little bit more, but I wasn't with Christ yet. And so what I decided to do was to say to my dad, listen, I don't forgive you unless you apologize. You need to apologize to my mom. You need to apologize to my grandmother because I am the judge. I didn't leave it up to God. I left it up to myself. I'm going to dictate this situation. So he did. He sent a letter to my mom and my grandmother. And now my grandmother and my mother knows where he lives, right? <laughs> and so now all of a sudden it's a lawsuit. It's my mom suing my dad because he never paid child support. Now my dad's wanted and in the United States couldn't come back here. And if he did, he'd go to jail. And he had a, a, a judgment against him of $418,000 and back child support and interest and everything else, penalties, whatever. So he couldn't come back. And it was because of me that that happened. And because of my thought that I needed to tell somebody what to do or I needed to be the judge of somebody else that caused him that pain. 
So I felt bad about that. And so when I sold the last company in 2016, I hired a lawyer and I found the documents down in Virginia, the divorce documents between my mom and my dad, found the settlement amount or the amount that they had leaned against my dad. And I went up to Connecticut and uh, met with my mom and convinced her to allow me to pay her on behalf of my father. So I would pay her. I'd buy her house at the time. The house was probably worth 100,000. I gave her 200,000. I gave her a commitment of $2,000 a month over the, her, the rest of her life and give her some other stuff in exchange for her releasing my father of the debt that he owed her. And she did. And so it was a proud moment for me to be able to tell my dad, hey, listen, I settled your debt to my mom. And I was able to live that out because of my faith. Now, my father, all his years, was not very close to the Lord. I don't even think, I think he was probably an atheist or agnostic, agnostic at best. And in the last several years, he married somebody, Rebecca, who was a Christian. And now my dad, at like the 75 years old, is going to church and he's in a, in a, um, a small group at church. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, I'm telling you. And so it's been a, it's been a, a really a great journey for me with my dad. And, you know, I forgave him. I forgave him in the right way. I didn't forgive him because of me telling him what to do. I forgave him because Christ forgave me. And I think that's been special for me. And what a remarkable piece of storytelling. Thanks to Robbie for producing the piece. As always, he does such great work. And a special thanks also to Jason Wolf for sharing his story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And boy, there was a lot of ugly. But my goodness, what came from all those struggles? And that, that seminal moment in his life is, as he put it, when God came knocking on my door. The story of Jason Wolf, the story of so many men and women struggling to find peace and healing in this world, here on Our American Story. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. 
This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Our American Stories. Up next, a story from Mark O'Brien, who listens to us on KMOXAM in St. Louis. And this story is about one of his personal heroes. Mark is the author of Have Pool Q, Will Travel, which outlines this true character. Here's our own Monty Montgomery with the story. Pool is a sport with a rich history to it, and today it's one of the most popular participation sports in America. And there are countless names which have gone down as the best players of the game including St. Louis Louis. Here's Mark O'Brien with more on this interesting character. I met Louis when I was 15, and that was in 1970. It was at a small pool room in St. Louis. I had heard some stories about someone named St. Louis Louis. I heard him over and over again. I never met him. I thought he would be a guy about 50 or 60 years old. And one day I'm in the pool room practicing, and a guy about 21 walked in. And you would have thought a celebrity walked in. All the old timers in the pool room, right about the same time, they said, it's Louie, it's Louie. And everybody shook his hand, hugged him, blah, blah, blah. And from that day on, he became my hero. Louie was one of the most charismatic people I've ever met. That didn't have anything to do with pool. When Louis was around anybody, anywhere, at any time, all the eyes were on Louis. 
He just had a way of making you feel good, smile, laugh. He was like a magnet. His skills were incredible. And he has been called by hundreds of people, maybe the greatest shop maker in pool history. Louis Roberts could cut a pool ball like nobody else could. My gosh, his favorite game was nine ball, and that's a rotation game, one through nine. You have to hit the lowest numbered ball first, and if you make that, you go on to the next ball. And then when you finally get to the nine, and you make it, you win the game. And Louie, if, if he had an open shot, he would just run out. I mean, he was a stone cold, run out artist. He was amazing, an amazing pool player. He was born Louis Francis Roberts in 1950 here in St. Louis, Missouri. A future two-time U.S. Open nine ball champion, Louis would actually dominate the sport for over two decades. Louis's dad purchased a brand new A.E. Schmidt pool table so the six children could have fun while they were at home. Louis had five siblings, two sisters and three brothers, but they had difficulty getting Louis away from the table. As an early teen, Louis became infatuated with pool and practiced for several hours every day. By the time he was 15 or 16, no one in St. Louis could beat him playing eight ball or nine ball. And Louis met his first road partner, Paul Bulis at Cleveland High School when they were sophomores. And Paul, luckily, he owned a car. And him and Louie would travel to dozens of area hotspots on the weekends, and they won piles of money. As Paul tells it, Louie was a young phenom and rarely, if ever, missed a shot. And Louie always had a ton of energy and was also an accomplished athlete in high school. He was a star gymnast, and a cross-country runner. And Louis had only two things on his mind as a young teen, sport activities and pool. By the time he was 17, Louis had a reputation of being unbeatable on a pool table. Out-of-town hustlers started showing up in St. Louis, and when they departed, their bankroll had shrunk. One thing that separated Louis from other pool players, gamblers, and hustlers Louis would often refund a portion of his winnings because he hated to see anyone go broke. One other thing, Louis was becoming a dead ringer for Elvis Presley in the looks department, and he loved the attention. On occasion, Louis would walk on his hands around the pool tables at the sports center in St. Louis while reciting verbatim lines from his favorite movie, Scarface. Louis' impression of Al Pacino was spot on. I witnessed feats like those dozens of times as I was the co-owner of the Sports Center along with my partner, Larry LaBarbera. Larry hired Louis as our house pro in 1988. Louis left us with dozens and dozens of great classic memories that will never be forgotten. Now, Louis did several trick shot exhibitions at the Sports Center and he scared us on more than one occasion. Louis would set up a series of five difficult shots and guarantee he would make them in six shots or less. 
He then promised everyone in attendance a $5 bill if he was unsuccessful. Sometimes 50 people or more were in the building and we were on the hook for the payout, me and my partner. Of course, it made us very nervous, but we never paid out a dime. Louis was a sensational trick shot artist. One of his best shots, it was called the Chattanooga Choo Choo. He would lay three cues on the pool table and it would make like a train track and he would pocket four balls and then the cue ball would go around the table and it would hop up in the air and come down on this track and then it would roll right toward another pocket, the cue ball would, to pocket another ball. That usually got the biggest rise out of the audience whenever he did an exhibition. Louis started winning or placing very high in major U.S. tournaments at age 22 when he won the 1974 Orlando, Florida Open Nine Ball Tournament, and that was versus a large group of other seasoned professionals and road-tested hustlers. And it wasn't just his skill that won him tournament after tournament. It was also his wit. When your opponent approaches the table and gets down to, to take a shot, you shouldn't say anything. And Louis never did say anything. But while Louis was shooting, man, he was so talkative. He just might do things to make you nervous without you realizing it. One time, some guy came in. Louis did not know him. The guy asked for a large handicap, and the guy ran the first two racks, and Louis knew he was in a little bit of trouble. So he asked the guy, he goes, hey, do you inhale or exhale? And the guy said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you play real good. I was just wondering, before you pull the trigger, do you inhale or exhale? Well, the guy got so confused he was struggling to breathe the rest of the match. And he went on tilt and couldn't make a ball after that. Louis beat him. And then there was Louis' debut into the film industry. Well, a blockbuster movie hit the theaters in 1986 starring Tom Cruise and Paul Newman. The film was titled The Color of Money. When the producers and the directors gathering a cast of pool-playing teachers, Louis was a no-brainer to be chosen. Louis was a great teacher of the game, and he used to give private lessons for a hefty fee. So Louis lasted a few weeks on the payroll. Louis and a few other great players gave hands-on instruction to Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. Louis claimed he would have been chosen for one of the speaking parts in the movie but they told him he looked too much like Elvis. So he can be seen in the movie uh, three or four times, and his name is actually announced at the big tournament. And Louis was very proud of that mention. Louis also mentioned that while Newman had average pool skills, Tom Cruise had never played pool and was more difficult to teach. So naturally, Louis became friends with Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. And Louis had a personal contact phone number for both of them, which he kept in his little black book. 
On December the 22nd, 1991, Louis apparently took his own life. His untimely death sent shockwaves throughout the billiard industry. Back at our pool room, dozens of former and current players stopped by to pay homage and view the many pictures of Louis that were displayed on the wall right next to his favorite table, pit table number one, Louis's table. Godspeed, Louis, and rest in peace until we meet again in pool heaven. And great job on that piece, Monty Montgomery doing the work. Mark O'Brien, a listener, bringing us the story of St. Louis Louis here on Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.